Greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn related show on the planet, Earth, the John Campion Show, coming from right here on my YouTube channel. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, my international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies and movie news, streaming, TV, all sorts of good stuff, and it is a great pleasure to have you here today. However, I must let you know that today's show, much like yesterday's show, is not actually being done live. We have been experiencing some connectivity issues with our YouTube upstream during our live streams. They are familiar with the problem. They believe they've identified the problem, and we're hoping that the problem is all going to be all fixed by tomorrow. So hopefully tomorrow's show will actually be live. I'm actually recording this at 2.45 in the morning. Uh, and the reason I'm recording this at 2.45 in the morning uh, is because I want to try to get this. You know, I don't like to break other people's schedules. And so I know you guys are kind of accustomed to watching the show at a certain time. So I want to try to make sure I can record and have this show up at the right time so you guys can watch it at your regularly scheduled time. And hopefully, if I'm awake, you'll see me in the chat board right now if you're watching this live. So I'll be in the chat board with you guys uh, if that's the case. Listen, guys, we are only now three days away, three days away from the MCU making its debut with its first original program, on Disney Plus. WandaVision is coming. We're all super stoked about that, and I am too. All right, guys, listen, uh, before we get into it too much here, we got a couple of little housekeeping items. First of all, if you haven't done so already, why don't you take a second and click on that subscribe button, become a subscriber to the YouTube channel. It'll keep you up to date on all the things we've got going on around here, and it would be great to have you join us on a regular basis. Also, <clears throat> in case you didn't know, and I'm sure most of you around here by now do, we spent the last year working on a documentary, a documentary about movie trailers, something that we're all really passionate about. And we did a movie a trailer documentary called Movie Trailers, A Love Story that looks at the origins, the history, the significant turning points, and the importance of movie trailers. And it is now available worldwide, whatever country you live in, you can go and watch it right now at Vimeo On Demand slash movie trailers. That's Vimeo.com slash on demand slash movie trailers. Now, if you happen to live in the US or in the UK, you have another option as well. You can watch it on Amazon. All you have to do is go to Amazon if you live in the US or the UK and search for movie trailers, a love story, and you should be able to find it there. And a special thank you to all of you guys who have already gone and checked out the movie and left all of your input and your reviews and your ratings. It has all been awesome. Thank you so much for your support. And I hope you guys go and check out the movie. All right, guys, with all that down, Let's get into our main topics. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campia Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them. Whenever you come across a big story that you think should be one of the topics on the show, simply go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campius Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one, shall we? And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by David Hoffman. And David Hoffman writes, Amazon's Lucille Ball biopic is moving forward with Aaron Sorkin writing and directing. Uh, this seems to be born out of the news a while back that Javier Bardem and Kate Blanchett were being considered. Bardem is attached as Desi Arnaz, but Nicole Kidman seems to have taken the place of Blanchett as Lucille Ball. I'm excited for this project, which will tell the story of Arnaz and Ball over the course of a week filming an episode, especially considering the hype for WandaVision. What are your thoughts on this? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, listen, this was something that got a lot of us very excited a while ago, because like you said, at one point, this, well, first of all, it's a Lucille Ball thing. Of course, we're all going to be interested. But at the time, it was Javier Bardem and also... Kate Blanchett, who might, other than the Streep monster, other than Meryl Streep, Kate Blanchett may be the best actress in Hollywood right now. Like, flat out, she may just be the absolute best actress in Hollywood right now. And she seemed like a really good fit. Javier Bardem seemed like a great fit for Desi Arnaz, and everybody loves Lucille Ball, so why not? But now they're saying that it's moving forward. Aaron Sorkin, who, of course, just did the 
fabulous, still my favorite film of 2020. My absolute favorite movie of 2020 was Trial of the Chicago 7. He also did Molly's Game before that, so he did excellent in that, and he's just one of the best writers in Hollywood at the moment. So that's great. And now we've got we've got uh, Nicole Kidman in there. Now, I will say this. If they had given me a call, if Amazon had given me a call and said, hey, Campia, uh, we have a choice to make either between Nicole Kidman or Kate Blanchett. Which one would you rather? Honestly, probably Kate Blanchett, because like I said, aside from Meryl Streep, she's probably the best actress in the business right now. But also, she just seems like a little bit of a better fit for Lucille Ball. Like when I think of Lucille Ball, I don't think of Nicole Kidman. I just it just seemed like a better fit to me for Kate Blanchett. That being said, let us not forget for even one micron of a moment that Nicole Kidman is a one, two, three, four-time Academy Award nominated actress, winning once. I believe it was for the hours that she won hers for with an Academy Award sitting on her mantle. She was also nominated, by the way, for Best Actress for Moulin Rouge, which is in my top 20 all-time favorite films. If you have not seen Moulin Rouge, Nicole Kidman, Hugh McGregor, uh, Baz Luhrmann, you absolutely have to go and watch it, that being said. So now you've got this four-time Academy Award-nominated actress who is also an Academy Award-winning actress. She's also an Emmy Award-winning actress, if I'm not mistaken. At any rate, you got her starring in it. Now, look, I always say the number one thing is, are you getting somebody talented? They had somebody really talented in Kate Blanchett, but they've moved on to somebody pretty much equally as talented, Nicole Kidman. And of course, she'll be starring alongside Javier Bardem. And Bardem is obviously no slouch himself. Like Nicole Kidman, he is also an Academy Award winner. And almost like Kidman, he has a number of other nominations. Instead of four nominations, he's got three, but one of them he won for. Of course, one of the better male performances a lot of us have ever seen maybe in our lives in No Country for Old Men, in which he was absolutely fabulous for. And of course, he won the Academy Award for that. So now you got, you know, one of the best writers in the world who's directing, whose two directorial efforts that I've watched have been amazing, Aaron Sorkin directing Molly's Game and, of course, Trial of the Chicago 7, with an Academy Award-winning lead actor and an Academy Award-winning lead actress. And it's all being done around the story of Lucille Ball. Now, this is kind of what they're predicating the whole thing on. Uh, this comes to us from Deadline that writes, Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem are in negotiations to play Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz in Amazon and Aaron Sorkin's Being the Ricardos, the film about the relationship between the I Love Lucy stars. Having penned the screenplay, Academy Award winner Sorkin will also direct the film from Amazon Studios and Escape Artists. The film is set during, this sounds really interesting to me, the film is set during one production week of I Love Lucy from the M Monday table read through to Friday's audience filming when Lucy and Desi face a crisis that could end their careers and another that could end their marriage. Dun, dun, dun. This, uh, again, this sounds fantastic to me. The fact that it's going to take place in the span of one week following one of their stories. I think, listen, guys, everything about this sounds great. Would I have stuck with Kate Blanchett? Probably. But if you can get Nicole Kidman starring in your picture, you're doing pretty good. Question is, guys... What do you think about this? Whole, the whole sounds of this movie surrounding Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz? What do you think about the casting of Javier Bardem and now Nicole Kidman? I personally think it all sounds really good. What do you guys think? Jump down into the comments section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by, well, none other than Bruce Wayne. And Bruce Wayne writes, A common complaint about 4K streaming is that it doesn't look as good as a 4K Blu-ray. Most streaming services stream 4K movies at about 15 to 25 megabits per second, but Sony is looking to change that with their new Bravia Core streaming service. They promise to stream movies at full 4K Blu-ray quality at up to 80 megabytes per second. Megabits per second. This is a game changer and could help lessen the blow of physical media going away one day. Now, excuse me, while I go upgrade my internet speed package. All right, man. 
Thanks a lot for sending that in. And listen, if you've been around here for any period of time around the John Campia show, you know we've had a lot of discussions in the last couple of years about the death of physical media. The death of physical media is not a theoretical nor a proposition. It is a reality. It's what's happening. Physical media is dying out. You know, Robert Meyer Burnett, who's a big physical media guy, has kind of talked about the actual facts and figures. It's really not up for debate. It's not, you know, it's it's not up to opinion. It's not up to anything else. Physical media is going away. However, the one thing that physical media things or one of the things that physical media lovers like Mar Robert Meyer Burnett will often lament is the fact that, yes, everything is now available streaming. And yes, you can get 4K streaming, and you even can get HDR streaming. This is all true. But, as many will say, especially Robert, whenever this comes up, is this. Not all 4K is created equal. 4K on a Blu-ray disc has a much higher bit rate than the 4K we get over streaming. Part of that is because of necessity, because not a whole lot of people have super high bandwidth internet. However, it may now look like the good folks over at Sony have cracked the code. This comes to us regarding this new Bravia service they have that's connected with their televisions. This comes to us from The Verge, who writes, Sony's new line of Bravia XR television sets, this is the new Sony sets, will allow consumers, consumers with a built-in app that's built into the TV, this service, will allow customers to watch and stream movies at home of the highest quality available in the consumer market through its new Bravia Core platform. Bravia XR, again, that's the TV. Bravia Core is the service. Bravia XR is the TV. Bravia XR owners will be able to choose from a number of Sony picture titles and watch them using Sony's pure stream technology, which achieves near lossless Blu-ray disc quality, according to Sony. Pure Stream also allows for streaming of up to 80 megabits per second, which just is almost triple, in some cases more than triple, or quadruple, quadruple, I should say, what you get on general 4K streaming. To compare, most streaming services recommend maintaining an internet speed of between 15 and 25 megabits per second. Now, there's a couple of little caveats here to, 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 that you have to keep in mind. Caveat number one, you need to own a Sony TV to be able to do it. You need to own, as far as I understand, I've done a little bit of reading on it, but as far as I can understand right now, if you want this Bravia core service, you need to have one of these Bravia TVs, one of these Bravia XR TVs, if I'm understanding it properly. So that's kind of a little asterisk number one. Asterisk number two is, this is going to be a selection that is very limited. It is going to be certain Sony titles. So for instance, when you look at the videos promoting this new Bravia core, one of the movies that they're showing off, and they show off the most, is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which is, of course, is their movie. So there are a couple of big things. Caveat number three, or asterisk number three. Number one is you got to own one of these TVs. Number two is... It's going to be a, a limited selection. I mean, I didn't get an exact number, but compared to Netflix or Disney Plus, it's going to be a limited selection. Caveat number three, of course, is that you're going to need to have a home internet speed that is capable of taking advantage of this ridiculous bitrate. Like if you have kind of standard home internet, like AT&T standard internet, I don't think that's going to cover 80 megabits per second. Now, I've got a home service through Spectrum. I get gigabit. I get 960 or something megabits per second. So 80 is no problem. I think for a lot of people or most people who have high-speed internet, probably 80 is not really pushing it too awful much. I, I know there's going to be a bunch of people that it, that is going to be a little bit prohibitive, but I think for a lot of other people like myself and many others who have you know, the high-speed service, 80 megabit isn't that much of a stretch. And considering more and more Americans every year, I was looking at some studies on this on, um, oh, which website I was looking at this on. It wasn't The Verge. What was it? Oh, I can't remember the name of the site now. At, at any rate, Engadget, that's where I was seeing it. You know, Engadget had this report showing the very rapid, you know, movement of people into higher speed internet stuff as more and more becomes available and becomes more affordable, at least on the lower ends. And so this could be, I mean, this could be the silver bullet right? Again, the number one concern I usually hear from people who 
are very hardcore into their physical media is often the fact that it's not the same quality streaming as you get on physical media. If Sony can actually make this work, and from all signs that we're seeing, they are being able to make it work. They are being able to make it work then this should conquer one of the big objections that a lot of people who are still holding on to their physical media from transferring over to streaming. Now, while quality has been maybe to me the biggest objection that I've heard regarding transferring yourself, weaning yourself off of physical media and moving over to streaming, there's still a second very, very big objection that unfortunately this Bravia core service does not address, which is... Hey, you know what? Once I buy that disc, I've got the disc. I've got it. They can't change the movie and suddenly now I'm at their whims or a streaming service may disappear. By the way, there are counter arguments to all of these things, but still, that is one of the big things that keeps a lot of people hooked onto that physical media bug. They like that tangible feeling. This is a camera lens, but let's pretend this is a disc. It's got that tangible feeling. I can hold it in my hands. It is mine. It's not really yours, but you can say it's mine and it's there on my shelf whenever I want to go for it, right? So the Bravia Core won't address that, but if it can address this quality issue, then that's just going to accelerate. I mean, we're already seeing this breakneck speed of people ditching physical media and going to streaming. This will only accelerate it. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this Bravia Core thing? Yes, there are still a lot of asterisks that you got to take in mind here. A lot of caveats here. You got to have the TV. You got to have the proper streaming speed and all that kind of stuff. There is still a relative uh, limited selection. But think about it. If this works and works well, it ain't going to be long before PlayStation has that built in. This Bravia Core technology, this whatever magic streaming thing, whatever the name of it was, is going to be built in. It's not going to be long before an Xbox One has this built in. It's not going to be long before more TVs, smart TVs, or Roku's, or Apple TVs, or the Chrome TVs. It's not going to be too much longer. If this works on the Sony thing, you're going to start to see it pop up on a lot of other devices as well. And I think that's just going to, you know, accelerate this whole adoption of the streaming lifestyle. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this? Does this sound promising to you? Are you still like a no way I'm a physical media ride or die guy? What are your thoughts on this? Jump down into the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys. With that down, let's move into main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by CoolKid260, who writes, Big fan. Well, thank you so much, Cool Kid. And wanted to ask you, with Sony announcing that they are delaying Morbius from March to October, to which some of you guys, this is news, from March to October this year, do you think other movie studios will do the same with other films? That doesn't include Warner Brothers films. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, some of you may not have heard this yet, but Morbius was scheduled to come out in March. Look, that was basically just two months away. It had it was scheduled to come out, I believe, in the late summer of 2020. It, of course, got pushed off until a little bit further. But now it's not coming out until October. Morbius ain't coming out until October. This comes to us from the good folks over at The Hollywood Reporter who writes, Jared Leto's Morbius will not be haunting audiences in March. The Sony and Marvel film has moved its release date to October 8th. It previously had been set for March 18th. The move comes as theater going remains uncertain amid the coronavirus pandemic. The film was previously uh, there was previously slated for last July before the pandemic delayed it. All right. So this is what we're left with here. Morbius had already been moved once, but I don't think any of us right now should be surprised that it's being moved again. And the reason none of us should be surprised is because it was going to come out mid-March. Look, we're, at, we're almost in mid-January right now. That means it was just two months away. And they are just now starting to really roll out vaccinations. I mean, they've still only vaccinated like a small, small, small percentage 
of people who knew who need to get these vaccinations. As a matter of fact, Ann and I just heard today that they are converting Dodger Stadium into a giant vaccination center, which is good news. But the reality is we are still just at the very beginning stages of vaccinations and all that kind of stuff. We are hearing some promising things. And I don't want this whole discussion to get sidetracked into a big discussion about vaccinations. But we are starting, um, we are hearing very, very promising things about where we could be by like maybe even end of April, May, June. Like we're hearing some pretty positive things. Now, whether or not those things work out, we'll find out. But even if the, the most optimistic appraisal of the situation, that you know what, by mid to late April maybe, you know, June, July, you know, or May, something like that. We could really be making some headway. That's great. But even in those most optimistic of forecasts, mid-March is not looking good. Mid-March just uh, mid-March wasn't looking good in December. I think personally the earliest, the earliest, and this could get pushed off too, is probably at least another month after that, which would be mid, uh, mid-April mid uh, getting into May. And that's me also being optimistic. So again, I think even under the most optimistic appraisals, I thought mid-March was probably not looking like a very solid bet at this point. So I think people who understood that Morbius was coming up in March I think most people probably had it in the back of our heads that that's one that's probably going to move. Now, the big question for me becomes um, how, if at all, does this affect uh, Venom? So let me go uh, Venom to release date. Because as of right now, Venom 2, I believe it's supposed to be for July. I'm sorry, June. June 25th, 2021 is now when uh, Venom There Will Be Carnage is scheduled to come out, okay? So, Sony had it lined up that Morbius comes out first and Venom There Will Be Carnage comes out after that. Now they've moved Morbius from before Venom 2 to after Venom 2, which of course will raise the question for a lot of people, and this is the one that I think most of us are asking today is, well, does this automatically now mean that Venom will be moved to, say, November, maybe even December. If they do, I don't think they'll be moving Venom because they are not confident in June 20, 25th. I think right now most of the industry is fair, feeling fairly confident about, especially the summer. But if they move it, I think it's going to be because it's becoming obvious. These stories are connected. They've, there's never been an official word that says Morbius and Venom are connected, but it's becoming more and more obvious that these stories are connected. They've done some wiggling before to make sure that Venom 2 comes after Morbius, and now that Morbius has moved, I personally think, I don't know, I've had nobody call me from the studio and tell me this, this is just my speculation as a fan, but I think it is now a foregone conclusion that at some point, because I think Morbius and Venom There Will Be Carnage have been made in such a way that we're supposed to see Morbius first, I think we're going to hear that even though June might be an okay date to keep it, I think they're going to move it after October so that we can see Morbius first and then somehow these stories are connected and then we'll flow into Venom 2. That's what I think is going to happen. I don't know that for sure. All I know is that it's a bummer, but listen, I've been really looking forward to this Morbius movie. I think the trailer was fantastic. I was a big fan of the first Venom movie, so I, and I think Jared Leto's a dynamite actor, so I've been really looking forward to Morbius. It sucks that it's being pushed off an additional eight months. However, I'm just glad they didn't bump it to like summer of 2022, so I'll take it. I'll take it, Sony. So let's keep our eye on Venom 2 and see if they do uh, make that release date change. I think they will. Question is, what do you guys think about this? Was it fairly obvious to you as well, or were you surprised that they just moved Morbius again all the way to October? What do you think is now going to happen with Venom? There will be carnage. I'm thinking they're going to make sure it still follows Morbius and comes after it, or maybe you think they're going to keep the release date and the order in which they come out maybe doesn't all matter all that much. What do you guys think? Jump down into the comments section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. 
With all that down and out of the way, let's now move over and start taking your live tip questions that you guys have sent in. How do you send in one of these live comments and questions, even though technically today it's not live because this is a pre-recorded episode. But at any rate, how do you send in a live comment and question using the tip link? It's simple. Look in the description of this video and right near the top, you will see the tip link. That's at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. Once you click on that or enter it in manually, you're going to see this box here appear. Guys, make sure you write in your name. A lot of people forget to write in their name. And if you're going to send in a tip to support the show and a question to give us something fun to talk about, I want to make sure your name gets a shout out. So please make sure you fill out your name as well and then send it on in. You'll be supporting the channel and you'll be getting your question on the show if your question is reasonable. Okay. With that down, let's get on over and start taking your questions, shall we? And we're going to start things off here with Super Disappointed, who writes, now, how do you really feel? Not mincing any words here. Super Disappointed writes, I found Wonder Woman 84 magical. I love the first one and really wish they would do a sequel. After watching Wonder Woman 84, I renounced my wish that is truly magical. All right, listen, obviously there's been a lot of talk about Wonder Woman 84 discussing the various logic problems with it and all this kind of stuff. At the end of the day, it's going to be safe to say this was a disappointing film. There are people out there who really quite enjoy that, and that's the beauty of the subjectivity of film, is that every movie can have people that absolutely love it, and that's great. I wish I loved it. I am jealous of the people who loved it, because I wish I could have been one of those people. Uh, alas, I was not, because like you, I really did like the first one, but hey, like I've been saying this whole time, this was Patty Jenkins' bad day at the office. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. She made, to me, at least by my own subjective opinion, a pretty disappointing movie. But I believe she's going to learn some lessons here. She's going to do what great artists do. She's going to learn lessons. She's going to move on. And I think Wonder Woman 3 is going to be the best one we've ever had. Uh, best Wonder Woman movie yet. Not best overall comic book movie. But I've got high hopes for it, man. I've got high hopes. All right, next up. Rachel Berg writes, John, my girlfriend loves you. Oh, she's got terrific taste uh, and watches you every day and has since and has since 2013. So I'd like to ask her on your show if she would do the honor of marrying me. Leah, will you marry me from Rachel? I love it when people do stuff like that. Listen, first of all, I hope uh, I hope this doesn't backfire on you, Rachel. I hope this goes very well for you. Do me a favor. If it goes well, can you email me a picture of the two of you? I'd love to have it. Send it to me at john at thejohncampiashow.com and let me know how this worked out. If I don't hear from you, we'll just assume it didn't go well and we'll never speak of it again. All right, thanks for saying that in, Rachel. And please do let me know how it goes. I hope it goes well for you. And uh, thanks for making our community a part of this great moment for you guys. That's awesome. Thank you, Rachel. All right. Next up, Dakota writes, Hey, John and Rob, who's Rob's obviously not here with me today right now. Um, if he's there, of course. With King of the Monsters somewhat flopping and now Godzilla versus King Kong going to HBO Max, do you think the Monsterverse will be done if this movie doesn't do well? Love the documentary and bring on the filthy. Well, thank you so much, Dakota, for checking out our documentary. I mean, listen, it's not just Godzilla versus Kong that people are wondering, okay, well, wait a second. What exactly is going to be the, what's the measuring stick for how well a movie does on HBO Max? Is it new subscribers that come in during the week that the, it comes out? That's measurable. That's a, that's a measurable metric to keep your eyes on, to gauge success. I mean, obviously box office is going to be it. So we'll see how that goes. I don't know, but this is one of the big reasons why directors like Denis Villeneuve, who's doing Dune, was like, you've killed our franchise. There's no reason to do a sequel for a big, high-concept, uh, big-budget, blockbuster, Oscar-contending movie like Dune. There's no way you can justify doing a sequel by putting it onto streaming. And that's why Denis Villeneuve and, and Legendary and others said, look, by putting it straight to streaming, you're killing our franchise chances. And the whole reason we got involved with this is because we thought it had franchise potential and y'all have just killed it. That's their argument. And maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong. So I'm not really sure when it comes specifically to Godzilla versus Kong, what is that metric that, you know, Legendary as the financer of the film 
uh, what the you know producers, what Warner Brothers, what HBO, what is it they're looking for? The only one I again I can really put my finger on is going to be that that first weekend subscription bump. That's probably what they're going to be looking for. And listen, right now, a lot more things have become very, very clear. On yesterday's John Campia show, we talked about the fact that Variety has reported that HBO has lost 51% of their main key viewing demographic and almost 40% of their overall viewership since Game of Thrones ended. You know, Game of Thrones ended strong, broke all types of uh, viewership records, won ridiculous amounts of Emmys, all that kind of stuff. But once it ended, HBO saw their viewership drop like a rock. And I think we all suspected something like that might happen, but we've never had any quantifiable information to say, yeah, here, here it is. But Variety's now saying it. They have lost 51% of their key demographic and up to 40%, almost 40% of their overall viewership, and they've never been able to get it back. And now that we know that, it puts all of the actions Warner Brothers and HBO Max have done regarding HBO Max into a much clearer picture now. They're desperate. They are fundamentally desperate desperate and and i gotta say i i said this on the show yesterday i'm not really sure why they've struggled they have put out great content hbo and hbo max have put out fantastic content so i, I don't know why they're having those types of struggles Maybe it's a marketing problem. Maybe it's something else. But it, it again, that story that Variety has put out really does put it all into perspective about this whole stunt they pulled about moving everything to streaming. Blah. They are desperate to give HBO Max a little bit of a kick in the pants. They're just desperate to do it. And I get it. I get it. So what metric are they going to be looking for when it comes to Godzilla versus Kong? I don't know for sure, but clearly one of the important ones, if not the main one, is going to be what is that subscription bump number going to look like on the week that it comes out? So, And maybe there are others, Dakota. Maybe there are others. All right, next up. Brock Lesnar, the champ, writes in and writes, I've noticed you were a big Sons of Anarchy fan, huge Sons of Anarchy fan. I It is my in my top three favorite shows of all time now. It honestly is. It is in my top three favorite shows of all time. Anyway, I was curious to know what your thoughts on Mayans were. I just couldn't seem to get into it. Uh, not sure why. I'd assume it just wasn't the same feel as Sons. Uh, bring on the filthy. All right. Thanks a lot for writing that in, man. And uh, yeah, listen. I, again, I cannot emphasize this enough. I absolutely love, absolutely love, um, Sons of Anarchy. It, it just, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. It borderlines on obsessive, uh, how much I love Sons of Anarchy. That said, when Mayans was coming out, um, I never actually looked forward to Mayans. I, I never looked forward to Mayans. It kind of, to me, looked like a poor man's, and I hate saying this, but it, it did feel to me a bit like a poor man's um, Sons, of, Sons of Anarchy. It felt like a poor man's Sons of Anarchy. It felt like, um, yeah, like it was just them desperately trying to hold on to what Sons of Anarchy was. I And I'm, I'm kind of, while I'm telling you this, I'm looking for this picture but I cannot find it. It's, it's, I got a picture. I got a chance to meet a couple of the stars of the show and, and chat with them for a bit, but I don't have it right now. But I'll tell you what, once I started watching Mayans, I really, and Edward James Olmos, who is also in my all-time favorite show, Battlestar Galactica. Of course, he's Admiral Adama in Battlestar Galactica. But it's Edward James Olmos. All the performances are fantastic. And while I will still say that Mayans is no Sons of Anarchy. It is really good in its own right. Like it's not in, it hasn't cracked my, cracked my top 10 favorite shows of all time. Like Sons of Anarchy is in my top three, but it is really good. And uh, I'm actually very excited about the next season coming out. And I, I'm not even sure when it does come out, but I mean, it's worth watching just for Edward James almost alone. But yeah, I'm really digging it. I'm digging it a lot. All right, next up. Carl Jr. writes, 
With the new streaming services launching like Peacock and HBO Max and Discovery Plus, yeah, that's another one, Discovery Plus, uh, does it hurt services like like Hulu and Netflix in the long run as far as getting new content to their services? Will NBC shows leave Hulu for Peacock? That has been a big topic of discussion. See, for the longest time, you know, Netflix and to another degree, Hulu, have really had the playground to themselves, right? Like, one of the reasons Hulu is like my main go-to streaming service is because I know that whatever airs on TV, I, and I, I've been a cord cutter for almost 10 years, so I don't have cable. Whatever airs on TV, I can watch it probably the next day on Hulu. After midnight on Hulu, it'll be there. And if not, then I can go watch all the catalog of shows on Netflix. That's how it was for a long time. They basically had the playground to get to themselves. But now what's happening is with all these studios and networks now doing their own streaming services, they're going to want to keep their own catalog in-house. Hence, we just saw Netflix's number one stream show, The Office, just left Netflix and it went to where else? Went to Peacock, NBC's streaming service. And you are going to see that happen more and more. FX stuff is all going to, well, FX is part of Hulu. Hulu is part of Disney, so it's all connected to Disney+. Plus. But still, any FX stuff is always going to be on the Disney control channels, whether it's Disney Plus or on Hulu. You know, you're, you're just going to see that stuff happening more and more and more. And that is why, see, a lot of people forget this. Back when Netflix was bringing out House of Cards, a lot of people thought it was very weird that Netflix is making its own show. Why is Netflix making its own shows? Because the people at Net at Netflix understood and they saw the writing on the wall. They read the tea leaves. They knew that this day was coming. They knew that this day was coming. They knew that there was coming a time when everybody else was going to get into the streaming game and it's going to change eventually. We're not quite there yet, but it's going to change from who's got the biggest depository of content and licensed content to who puts out the best original content. And Netflix saw that years ago. And that's why they started going all in and spending ridiculous amounts of money of creating original content because they knew a Peacock would come along or Paramount Plus or whatever, CBS All Access, or whatever they're changing that name to. They knew that that day was coming. And that's why I believe it was Netflix that said, we need to become HBO before HBO becomes us. I still remember that quote. We need to become HBO before HBO becomes us, Netflix. Because that you you have absolutely nailed it there, Carl Jr. That is what's happening, and it will make it. But that is why we're seeing all these streaming things creating their own unique original content because everybody's going to be building their own libraries pretty soon. And, uh, and yeah, that's the way it's going to be. All right, Quintus Deshaun writes, Good day, film friends. Uh, with seeing the execution of Diana using the golden armor in Wonder Woman 84, does that increase or decrease your anticipation for seeing Jolie's execution of Athena uh, in Eternals? Uh, she too has warrior skills and golden armor minus the wings. Completely non, com a complete uh, non-issue. These Those things are in no way connected in any way, shape, or form. So no, one has nothing to do with the other. It doesn't do anything for me. Uh, one micron to increase my excitement or anticipation or what I expect from things like that or take away from it. They are so completely different things in completely different cinematic universes being done in different stories and handled by different directors. So no, it, it, I'll just be honest with you. It doesn't do anything. To me, that's like saying, hey, remember that scene in Wonder Woman 84 where Barbara and Diana are having lunch? That was a good scene. Are you looking forward to scenes in Eternals where people are having lunch? I mean, I, I, that's a little bit of hyperbole there, Quintus. I admit, it's a little bit of hyperbole. But still, I, yeah, again, to me, it doesn't do anything. There are so completely different circumstances of things, and one is not a common trope that's just going to be replicated. So, 
To me, it's a non-issue. Personally, to me, it's a non-issue. But I am looking forward to Eternals very much, Quintus. All right, next up. King Artros of Monte Monteval writes, Hey, John and company. Still recommending Warrior on HBO Max. Um, oh, yeah, I still haven't started watching that. Uh, but also wanted to add my vote for CW show The 100. It was better than most CW shows, but what I really liked about the show was its ability to reinvent itself all seven seasons now on Netflix. I've had a few people mentioning that I should check out 100. By the way, since you're talking about this King Artros, I should recommend, and I still haven't seen the 100, but another show, this connects to what you're saying, King, that a lot of you guys have been telling me lately that I should really check out is uh, Kingdom. Uh, with, why am I forgetting the main, the, the guy who plays Crossbones? Hold a second here. Um, Kingdom. Which, where did it go? Not Animal Kingdom. Not the, you know, Korean zombie thing. Uh, where is it? I don't want this to play. The show's called Kingdom. It's on Netflix right now. It's on Netflix. I'm trying to remember the name of the guy who plays Crossbones. Frank Grillo. That's it. Frank Grillo, Nick Jonas. Don't let that, don't let that put you off. Don't let the Nick Jonas part put you off. Uh, I've had a bunch of you guys tell me recently that I should really check out Kingdom. It is an MMA show, but I heard from a couple people that I know that watch it that said they didn't really like it, so I've always avoided it. I've had so many of you guys tell me I should watch Kingdom that I finally caved in. I finally broke down, and I finally, Anne and I both, uh, have started watching Kingdom. And I will say this. I don't think it's great so far. I don't find it, like, great. But I am enjoying it. I am liking it. It's pretty good. I mean... It's a little, it's asking me to suspend disbelief a little bit a few times. But you know what? Obviously, honestly, overall, it's pretty good. And I don't know that I've ever liked Frank Grillo as much. Frank Grillo's great in this. I, I really got to give it to him. And so I got, actually, just earlier this evening, Ann and I watched another episode of it. We actually sat down and watched another. We're still in season one. But I got to say, guys, I am, uh, I'm enjoying it so far. Not fallen out of my chair in love with it, but I'm, I'm enjoying it so far. Anyway, maybe the 100 King Artros will become one of those next ones for me. Who knows? All right. Thanks for writing that in, man. All right. Dakota writes, not sure if you're a big fan of Adam Sandler. Um, it depends. It depends. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second, but I was wondering if you had watched Hubie Halloween and Uncut Gems. Also, should more streaming platforms do what Adam Sandler and Netflix have done, where Happy Madison makes films for Netflix? I hope not, because pretty much everything that Happy Madison has produced has been utter and com complete garbage for live streaming. So, no, I really don't think they should. But, I mean, hey, they're making money for Adam Sandler. There you go. Listen, my, my opinion of Adam Sandler, it depends on the context in which you're asking me. If you're asking me about the classic Adam Sandler comedies, love them. Waterboy being probably my favorite, right? But there's a whole bunch of others from that era of comedy where he's like, he was king. It was great. If you ask me about any comedy he's basically done in the last 10 years, garbage. Absolute garbage. He should be embarrassed by a lot of that stuff he's done. But if you ask me my opinion about him as a dramatic actor, forget Uncut Gems. I know everybody lost their minds for Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems, and he was very good in Uncut Gems. Don't Yeah, he absolutely was. He was great in Uncut Gems. But there was a movie that he should have gotten, but I'll say this right now, he didn't deserve an Academy Award nomination. I know that's the unpopular opinion, but really after looking at the other, you know, the nominees in the lineup, Actually, no, I wouldn't have nominated Adam Sandler either. He was great, but not greater than the people who got the nominations. That's just my point of view. But if you are looking for Adam Sandler and you want to see where's something that really shows us the true depth of his actual real potential as a true dramatic actor, there's this little film he did called Rain Over Me that to this day, I believe with all my heart, he should have gotten an Academy Award nomination for that. You know, years from now, when people say, 
If people ask me, John, what was the one time Adam Sandler got snubbed for an Academy Award nomination? I won't be saying Uncut Gems, although he was great in it. I'm going to be saying Rain Over Me. If you guys really want to see how good Adam Sandler really is as a dramatic actor, see that. And I really hope he does more moving forward in his career because he's so good at it. He's so good at it. I, I really hope he stops making, but he gets a lot of money from Netflix to make these terrible, terrible comedies that he makes on Netflix. But I really hope he starts doing more of his drama stuff because he's fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. So anyway, there's that. All right. Thanks, Dakota. All right. Next up, uh, Pelican Mike writes, hey, John, no one's ever directed for both Marvel and uh, for Marvel, DC and Star Wars. Well, that's three things. So for Marvel, DC and Star Wars. If Taika's Star Wars movie happens and you're right about J.J. for Superman, which would interest you the most to be the first, a J.J. Marvel film, a Taika DC film, or a Gun Star Wars film? Ooh. You know what? My first inclination is to say Taika, but I think James Gunn could do a bonker Star Wars movie. It's hard to say with because as of right now, Taika has not directed a Star Wars movie. <clears throat> he's planning on it, but as of right now, he's not directed one. So, so far out of that whole triumphant things, he's only done a, a Marvel movie. He hasn't done DC. He hasn't done a Star Wars movie yet. So let me see once we get to see him. You know, with uh, JJ, I mean, kind of the same rule applies, but I got to tell you, James Gunn directing a Star Wars movie. You know what? Okay, I'll still stick with Taika doing a DC film. But still, I want to see a Star Wars film first. But it's, it would be a very, very close run. And I'm very interested in the J.J. stuff too. But it's, it would be most close for me uh, between uh, Taika and um, uh, and Gunn. I think those are that, those are two very, very appealing thoughts to me. Thanks for the good one to come up with, Pelican Mike. Nice job. All right. Call of Duty God writes, Hey, John, I'm getting a 70 to 75-inch TV in a couple of weeks. Nice. Because my 15-year LCD Samsung finally took a dump, and Saving Private Ryan was the first on it. Really? That's awesome. And also my new one. Uh, the sound and sequence of the whole scene of the beach taking were great. I'll tell you what, man. First of all, that is so poetic that the first movie you watched on your last TV is now the first movie you watched on your new one. That's great. And seriously, for just the opening scene alone of Saving Private Ryan, that's that's a pretty good one. I will never forget. Um, the first time I watched Saving Private Ryan, I almost missed a lot of the rest of the movie because that opening scene was so powerful and so pivotal that I often throughout the rest of the movie just found myself still just thinking about that opening. And this is the, the, the amazing thing what Spielberg did with that movie was that in that opening scene, which was action-filled, gripping the edge of your seat, a lot of great dramatic tension. It was one of the most epic war scenes we've ever seen in a movie. Yet in not in one frame did Spielberg, did you ever feel like this movie was glorifying war? And I'm not crapping on films that do. I'm just saying, you know, while this was thrilling, edge of your seat, great dramatic tension, never once in all of that did it ever feel like that movie was glorifying war. If anything, I walked out of that movie never feeling stronger about war sucks. I've never felt that more than walking out of Saving Private Ryan. And it's all because of that opening sequence. War sucks. I never want to be in war. I never want anybody who is willing to defend their country ever have a need to be in war. I wouldn't wish, wish that on my worst enemy. War sucks. Why? 
the hell is wrong with us as a species that we do that shit that we saw in Saving Private Ryan? I mean, I, I was just so moved by it, and it shook me. And that's exactly what tremendously gifted filmmakers do, and Steven Spielberg is the best to ever do it. But yeah, man. Anyway, great one to watch on your sh on your TV, man, especially since it was the first one you did on your last TV. Thanks for sharing that, man. All right, next one up. Uh, Jaggy writes, Hey, John. Uh, KGF Chapter 2, Indian movie. Trailer became the most liked trailer with over 5 million likes and 93 million views, breaking the record of Endgame. Uh, the hype of this movie is crazy in Asia. Fans in Asia would love to know your reaction to the teaser. I, I couldn't tell you because I haven't seen it. Can't lie to you. I couldn't tell you because I haven't seen it. Um, so I, I, listen, I here's the I watch very very little Indian cinema. I'll be honest with you. Then again, I, I watch very very little any international market cinema. I used to watch more. I, I back in my AMC days still and prior to that, I used to watch a lot of international films, and I just haven't had the time to keep up with it. When I was at AMC, I was particularly interested in Indian cinema. As a matter of fact, before everything went to crap, not even before everything, right as everything was going to crap at AMC and our whole thing was undermined and sabotaged by the absolute gaggle of incompetent clowns that is AMC theaters and AMC entertainment's HR department, just spawn of hell. Uh, absolute incompetent buffoons um, with vile, vile agendas and whatever that work in AMC's office. And I, I have a lot of love for AMC theaters overall, but just an, an, an absolute gaggle of evil uh, and incompetence in AMC theaters, HR department. And just giving you my opinion, you know, I love it. But anyway, uh, before those uh, ass pimples over there uh, sabotaged, this amazing thing we were doing at AMC with AMC movie news. We were growing, we we're doing all this kind of stuff. One of the big projects I was personally working on uh, with our leadership at AMC, because AMC had a very vibrant uh, Indian film, Bollywood uh, programs that they're running in a lot of different theaters across the country. And we wanted to grow that. And I said, and it was a collection of us, me, my boss, my boss's boss. We had these discussions about, you know what we need to do? We need to create a movie talk, a weekly, not daily, but a weekly movie talk specifically for Indian and Bollywood film. And we were in the process of putting that together. Now, I was never going to host it because I don't know enough, but we I was already starting to put together preliminary drafts about this is what we're going to be looking for in hosts. Um, and we were already starting to work with, you know, finance and figure out what would our budget be? Are we going to have to find somebody that lives close to where our studio is already? Are we going to have to include in a compensation package, you know, relocating with the best Bollywood person in America right now happens to live in New York. Do we want to shoot the show out in New York? Do I need to go out in New York, hire a crew out there and a team out there and set up a weekly movie talk there that they can do? Or do we transport people? I mean, these were all questions we were going through and we were already in the process of. And that was one of the many exciting things we were working on again before, you know, the zit, the, the ass pimples uh, in AMC's HR department completely sabotaged everything that we were doing for their own personal agendas. But that is, uh, again, more sour grapes from me on the whole thing. Just sharing my perspective. Just sharing my perspective. But anyway, uh, a long way to say, Jaggy, that no, I have not seen this trailer yet. I will keep my eyes open for it, though. Thanks for sharing, man. All right, next up. The Nerdy Teacher. The Nerdy Teacher writes, uh, Patreon supporter, thank you for being a Patreon supporter, Nerdy Teacher. I appreciate that, man, very much. Seriously, our Patreon supporters... Uh, are amazing and just thank you for being one of them anyway hey john good job on your documentary i loved it thank you so much man i'm glad that you did and thanks for saying so so i'm still hanging on to the hope that the green lantern ring saved saved steve trevor from dying on that plane and that the steve we saw in wonder woman 84 was just a copy in your dreams teach yeah they that's that's not what they did that's not what they did 
um, clearly. So I, I would just put that to rest right now. I mean, listen, that prior to Wonder Woman 84 coming out, it's not the most ridiculous theory. Let, let's jump back a month to a time when none of us had seen Wonder Woman 84 yet. Or maybe we have to go back a little bit further to a time when none of us even knew anything about Wonder Woman 84 that was coming out. Let's jump back to that time. The theory, which we have heard before, that maybe, I mean, we didn't see Steve die. We saw him in the plane, and then we saw the plane explode, but we didn't see Steve die. I mean, there was a prevailing thought among some people in the fan community that maybe... One of the, the rings found him at the last second and took him out of the plane, and Steve Trevor is going to be the Green Lantern in this universe. I don't think that was ever in the cards, but it was not the most ridiculous theory. Having seen Wonder Woman 84, I think it's safe to say we can put that one to rest. That is not what they were doing. That was not what they were kind of laying out, obviously. But hey, hold on to your dreams, nerdy teacher. Hold on to your dreams. All right, next up. Preston Lyons writes, Hey, John, been listening to you since AMC, and this is my first time tipping in. Well, thank you so much, Preston. I appreciate your support, man, and thanks for being part of our community. And I just want to say thank you for making me a film fan. Listening to your shows and also your Why Movies Matter speech has made me extremely passionate, an extremely passionate about film fan. Well, that is awesome, man. And that is, seriously, one of the things that I think anybody who does stuff in this fan community in, in film fan community and stuff like that is that we hope the people who come along and join us in this fan community, um, grow in their appreciation of the object of their fandom, which is great stories on screens. And I love, 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 love Preston hearing from people writing in and saying that being a part of this community whether it's hearing from myself or one of my guests on the shows or interacting with people in the live chats or interacting with people in the chat forums after the fact, whatever. I love hearing that being a part of this community deepens somebody's appreciation for the art of storytelling on the screen. Whether that screen is a big proper movie screen, whether that screen is a streaming service, whatever, it's always great to hear that. So thank you again, Preston, for being a part of our community. Thank you for supporting the channel. And uh, I hope we continue to go on this journey together for many more years to come. All right. Thanks a lot for that, Preston. I appreciate it, man. All right. Next up, Nerdy Teacher writes in again. He writes, when I thought the lessons on superheroes, uh, thank to all, thanks to all of you for helping with finding uh, documents, by the way, I realized most of my students who knew who Batman was, most of my students who knew, sorry, let me try this again. I realized most of my students knew who Batman was, but very few knew who Bruce Wayne was. Maybe it's just them, but I think Batman Beyond has a shot. Well, I, 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 I don't know that. I've, I've talked to a lot of like kids. Like when I say kids, I mean like fourteen and under, that all know who Batman and Bruce. Like that know that Batman is Bruce Wayne, is Batman is Bruce Wayne. I, so I don't know. Maybe that's just a unique case with you. Whatever. But I will say this, and I did make this a, a part of my topic uh, the other day in one of the companion videos. You know, I, for years now, going back to AMC days, actually even prior to AMC days, but for years, I've had people insisting to me, they're going to make a Batman Beyond movie. They're going to make a Batman Beyond movie. And I kept saying, no, they're not. No, they're not. And now here we are in 2021, and lo and behold, they haven't. So I've been right. And I laid out my reasons why I, I don't I didn't think they were going to do it. Uh, but, and I will, I'll just give you the Coles notes on like the 10-minute description I gave it before. But once Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse came out, I believe, and I said at the time, I think Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse crack the door open for a legitimate possibility of a Batman Beyond story. I still didn't feel good about its chances, but a possibility. Now fast forward to 2021, and Walter Hamada, president of DC Films, has just talked about the fact that they're going to aim to have four major 
DC movies in theaters every year and two smaller property, um, comparatively smaller budget movies to go directly to HBO Max. Four big budget, more solid characters, theatrical releases, but two per year. And examples like Static Shock, Batgirl were given as examples. Two per year that would be a little bit lesser known characters with more modest budgets and have them go straight to HBO Max. And I believe if Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse just crack that door open a little bit for the possibility of a Batman uh, Beyond. I believe this situation where over the course of three years, they're going to want six lesser known, more modestly budget original films to go straight to HBO Max, six in three years. To me, that takes the little door crack open that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse gave Batman Beyond and made it a full-fledged, legitimate possibility. It was never going to be made. Make no mistake about it. Batman Beyond was never going to be made. But now, I believe it is a, not just like some 5% chance, it is a legitimate possibility. I think in the next couple of years, they could give it a shot. The HBO Max allows them a playground. The whole reason we're getting Snyder Cut you know, Deborah Snyder said herself, the day they made the announcement about Snyder Cut, Deborah Snyder said this was never going to be in the theaters. This was never going to happen in the theaters. HBO Max created an opportunity. And I believe that is now true for Batman Beyond. Specifically, Hamada saying, we want two projects a year that are lesser known, can be more modestly budgeted things to go straight to HBO Max. That that makes it a real possibility. So I think if you are one of these people who has really been looking forward to a Batman Beyond, these are all very encouraging developments. Because if they stick to this two-year thing, I'm telling you, I believe within three years, there is a 75% or higher chance of one of those six films that is going to be made to go straight to HBO Max, one of those six films will be Batman Beyond. I don't know that. I haven't been told that by anybody at Warner Brothers that I know. I'm simply telling you that's my perspective on it as a fan. Let's see if it actually works out. All right, next up. Uh, also from Nerdy Teacher writes, Speaking of teaching projects, my next crazy idea is historical and literary references and inspirations in either Game of Thrones or Star Wars. Any idea of things to discuss with teenagers? Thanks. Dude, I, have, I don't know what you're even talking about. S talking about... Historical literary references and inspirations in either Game of Thrones or Star Wars. I, I mean, I don't know. Everything about me is really more pop cultural. Like, the main place I would want to go is let's, but it's still, it's a movie thing referencing a movie thing. It'd be, I want to, I would probably talk about, you know, the influences of Kurosawa on George Lucas and how that inspired and shaped some of the things he had in star Wars. But again, that's a movie thing referencing a, a movie thing, actual historical and literary references to those things. I will leave that to you nerdy teacher, but I think it's a terrific idea. So you go for it, man. You keep your own counsel, your own counsel. Should you keep on that? Don't ask me because uh, I'll just be referencing other movies. That's all. All right. Brian Bendito writes, hi, John. Hope you're having an amazing day. Well, thank you so much, Brian. I appreciate that. Every Saturday, as I'm headed to work to clean people's houses, and it's not the best job out there, listening to your podcast helps me get through the day, and I would like to thank you. Stay smart and safe. Well, thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. And you know what? Let me take this opportunity um, to plug the podcast. You know, I, I was plugging the other thing, so why don't I plug the podcast for a second? For those of you who do not know, um, the John Campus show also has a purely audio only version that is in podcast form that we simply call the John Campus show podcast. And you can go and get it on your favorite podcasting app of choice, whether it's Apple or Spotify, whatever, just search for the John Campus show podcast and you should find it. No problem. I, I will point this out though. For those of you who use Spotify, uh, to listen to your podcast, when you search for the John Campus show on Spotify, on Google, 
for some reason, Spotify has two different versions of the show up. One of them hasn't been updated in like months, but the other one is the current true up-to-date podcast feed. So if you just search for the John Campus Show podcast on Spotify, you should find it no problem. Or on any of your other podcasting apps, should be no problem. You should just be able to find it there. Very easy. So thank you so much, Brian. For uh, First of all, for helping everybody else. Listen, you may not think your job's the greatest in the world, but as somebody who has used house cleaning services before, when Ann and I have just been like up to our ears and don't even have time to breathe for months at a time, and like our place is just becoming decrepit and we're not keeping able to keep out their house, being able to hire people to come in who can like quickly, effectively clean my house way better than I could, and we don't use them often, but still, and just to be in a clean, tidy house again, it just makes life feel less stressful. So thank you for what you do. And thank you for listening to the podcast, man. I'm really uh, I'm really grateful that you do. And thanks for sharing that with me. All right. I uh, just got time for one or two more here, guys. And you know what? Uh, we will get into double crit next time because double crit is one of sevens. So you know what? We will start off the next show with double crit. As a matter of fact, I am going to do a companion video. We were going to do one yesterday, but we had I, I got just tied up all day in the technical aspects of trying to get our streaming situation solved. So we will be doing a companion video later today before Wednesday's show. And hopefully Wednesday, we'll be right back to doing our fully live shows again, not this pre-recorded. Although these pre-recorded things are still okay, but I do look forward to being able to get back to our regular live streaming stuff. And I hope you guys are going to be able to join us as well. All right, guys, that'll do it for this installment of the John Campion Show. Thank you guys so much for being here. Special thank you to all you guys who did, did send in those live questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about, but number two, you supported this channel while you did it, and all of us in, involved here at the John Campion Show, thank you guys very, very much for that. Don't forget, guys, there's still a lot of problems out there, so please stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name is John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.